I got a question to kind of start out message time today. Have you, anybody here ever been disappointed by anything? Anybody? God bless that hand. I see that hand. Anybody ever been disappointed? Typically, there are three things that disappoint us. There are events, things that we, we thought it was going to be a cool event, turned out not to be, or it was a dud, or it got canceled. Things, something that you ordered online and it got delivered, and you went, oh, man, that ain't what the picture looked like at all, or the Cracker Jack prize that you thought you were going to get turned out to be nothing. Um, Maybe you went to the ice cream store and you saw a guy get two scoops of something or other, two big old huge scoops of this ice cream, and you, mm, that's what I want. And you order it and they give you two little tiny scoops. I mean, you know, something like that happens and you go, oh man, what's, or, or worse, people. Sometimes people you depended on didn't come through. Don't look at them, but you know what I mean. Maybe they didn't live up to your expectations. And maybe, maybe your expectations were unrealistic, but still the reality is it can be incredibly painful. It hurts, even breaks our hearts sometimes when people, events, or things break our hearts. So, so the question, I guess, is how do you respond when you're disappointed? What's your uh, MO? What's your typical response to disappointment when it, when it comes? Again, whether it's an event, a thing, or a people, what is it? I mean, go back to our ice cream parlor illustration. The other guy got more. So are you, uh, are you a demander? Hey, you, you, I want the same as that guy got. Is that who you are? Is that how you respond to those disappointments? Are you a victim? Well, I guess, I guess people like me only deserve smaller scoops, I guess. I can't expect any more than that. Or maybe you're a whiner. Maybe you're just, well, why does he get bigger scoops than me? I don't know why. Maybe that's who you are. Maybe you're an activist. Maybe you're the, look here, Mr. Scooper dude. If that's the way you do business, I am not only not going to do business here, I'm going to pick at your store. Where my sign? I'm going outside. I mean, some of you, we all just kind of respond to disappointment in different ways. The, 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 the problem is we have to deal with disappointments and the way we deal with them ultimately determines what happens as we go forward. If there's anybody in the Bible that was a pro at dealing with disappointment, it was Moses. This guy knew about disappointment. He was charged by God to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. He'd go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then he would change his mind. And it went over and over and over and over again. And then finally, when, when he did finally get them out, it went to the Red Sea and was backs against the wall again. And those ungrateful Israelites just just challenged him at every turn, whined at every turn, demanded at every turn. I, that's one of the reasons it took them 40 years to get to the homeland, to the promised land. I'm told it's an 11-day walk if you just go. But they would get close to the promised land. They'd start whining, complaining, demanding, activisting, all that kind of stuff. And God would say, okay, well, if, I guess if that's the way you want to play it, we'll take another lap in the desert until you finally learn to trust me, and then we can finally get into this promised land, um, unfortunately, took a whole generation to start trusting him before they got in. For those of you that are new, we're in a series that we're calling The Shepherd, uh, Parables for Life from the 23rd Psalm. We're learning that the Psalm 23 is not just a famous poem, a beautiful poem, perhaps one of the most beautiful ever written, but it's a parable that addresses six primary facets or aspects of, of doing life on earth and ultimately eternity, and it kind of highlights the role of the shepherd in each one of those facets of, of life. And in case you don't know this, by the way, the Bible often refers to us as sheep. You're aware of that, right? Do you hear it's like this? You know that, okay? And it's not because sheep are cute. 
It's not because we get warm, fuzzy sweaters from them. You know why we're referred to as sheep in the Bible? Because we have the same characteristics as sheep in many ways. Sheep uh, are timid, fearful, and easily panicked. Uh, uh, sheep stampede. They're, they got a mob mentality. It's very easy to, to get panicked and, and, and start stampeding. They have little or no means of self-defense. And they're actually pretty dumb. Hello? Uh, fact is, there'd be no warm, fuzzy sweaters if there weren't shepherds to care for them because they wouldn't survive long enough to grow the wool that we need for the sweaters, which is their best characteristic. They listen to and follow their shepherd. Their best characteristic is they listen to and follow their shepherd. Say it with me. They listen to and follow their shepherd. One more time. They listen to and follow their shepherd. Today, we're talking about the shepherd's role in our lives when our hearts are broken, the shepherd's role in our lives when disappointment sets in because of an event, a thing, or a person, whatever the source of it. So let's go to Psalm 23, verses 1, 2, and 3. Read it with me. 1, 2, 3, go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. That's what we're focusing on today is that last sentence, he restores my soul. And to unpack that, I want to go back to Moses and that journey with the children of Israel through the wilderness and go to a specific event that's found in Exodus chapter 15. So if you brought your Bible, you can flip to Exodus 15. You go to the Bridge NC app and all go to the notes and all of the notes that I have here, all the scriptures that I have here are available to you. You can save it to your journal, take your own notes. You can email me at info at bridgechurch.cc. I'd be glad to send you the very notes that I'm using. But we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 15, and the Israelites are having a water problem, okay? In fact, they had a lot of water problems. It seemed like every time I turned around, they were having a water problem. First, they had too much water at the Red Sea. God had to solve that problem for them. Then they didn't have enough water, and God had to make water flow from a rock for them. And now they found water, but it's undrinkable. True to form, the Israelites didn't handle it very well. They went into demand mode, wine mode, victim mode, complain mode. That's what they do. So let's see. Well, let's jump right into the story, see, see what we can learn from them. Pick it up, Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. Then they came to Marah, where there was water, but they could not drink it because it was too bitter. That is why the place is called Mara, and, and, and in fact, Mara is a Hebrew word. It's the English version of a Hebrew word that literally means bitter. And so they came to this place. You got the picture. They've been traveling through the desert. They don't have any water. They come up on this place, and it's, oh, finally, some water. But it turns out that the water has soured, and so they called the place bitter. And, but the good news is that it's at Mara that God illustrates three very important truths about disappointment. And I just want to teach you those three truths this morning and hopefully help us all to deal with the disappointments that are an inevitable part of living in this sin-cursed world. So three truths about disappointment and what we're going to do about it. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? I promise to let you out before second service gets here. Okay, so I just, we'll see what happens. Truth number one is failure often follows success. Say it with me. Failure often follows success. One more time. Failure often follows success. Just three days 
uh, coming before coming to Marah, they were at the Red Sea, and God did this amazing miracle where he parted the waters, and they crossed over on dry land, and then Pharaoh and his army went in and, and was drowned in the sea. God did this amazing miracle just three days ago, the first part of chapter 15 of Exodus. They're singing what we call the song of victory. And the lyrics in the song were, were how God stomped them dirty Egyptians and nothing can stand in our way now. And just a day or two later, they're, they're going, they're whining and they're picketing and they're demanding and they're complaining. Again, even after the end of the promised land, the first battle that they fight in the promised land is with Jericho, which was the most fortified city in the region, in the nation, in the area. And they win. The very next battle is in the little village of dinky little village of Ai and they lost because they allowed sin to come in their camp. In other words, they decided because they won at Jericho that they now are big stuff. They don't need the shepherd. They don't need to listen and follow him. They can do things their own way and the result is they lost the battle. You see, that's what happens quite often is that, is that failure often follows a success, particularly if we allow ourselves to begin to think that we were the source of the success. So if you've just had a success, um, pay attention. Pay attention. Don't get careless. And don't try to ride on past successes. Remember that we should always and must always uh, follow the voice of the shepherd because the biggest successes are often followed by disappointing failure. The, the question before we get to truth too, though, <clears throat> that you might be asking is why? why? Why did God, after getting them out of Egyptian slavery and after doing this great miracle of the Red Sea, why did God bring them to the bitter waters of Marah? Why would he put them in that position? And I think it's clear, again, in the text, Exodus chapter 15, verse 25, there at Marah, the Lord tested their loyalty to him. The Lord tested their loyalty to him. In other words, God brought them to Marah to test their reaction to Marah. At the Red Sea, he gave them a great success, but now he needed to see if they learned anything from that success. Now, please understand that when the God allows you to come into one of those kind of situations uh, to see how you're going to handle it, it's not for his information. He already knows it's for yours. God didn't test their faith at the Red Sea. He, he, he did that miracle of the Red Sea based on Moses' faith. He gave them a victory so he could see, so they could see his, his power, and now he's put them in a position to trust his provision. Simply put, God's character is revealed at the Red Sea. Man's character is revealed at Mara. Who we really are is exposed in the battle. People sometimes will ask the question, well, is courage... Born in the battle or revealed in the battle? And the answer is yes. It is both and, and here they are showing that they haven't yet learned to trust the shepherd. In other words, the, the question is not how many successes have you had in life. The question is what did you do when failure followed one of those successes? 
Verse 24 tells us how Israel responded. Look at what it says, verse 24. The people grumbled to Moses and asked, what are we going to drink? They panicked immediately. What in the world are we going to do? After all the things they'd seen God do and the miracles that he performed and the plagues in Egypt that finally got Pharaoh's attention, after all of that, there goes first challenge. What in the world are we going to do? Hear me, guys. Success often precedes failures or disappointments. The question is, will you demand, whine, complain when they come, or will you trust the shepherd to do his job? Some of you have been part of the series. You know what the shepherd's job is. You want to rehearse it. It is to guide, provide, correct, and protect. One more time. It is to guide, provide, correct, and protect. So when the failure follows your success, are you going to whine and complain, or are you going to trust that the shepherd is guiding, he's providing he may do some correcting. He will always do the protecting that you need. The second truth that we see in Mara is that forgetfulness often follows service. Failure often follows success, but forgetfulness often follows service. Have you ever amazed, you ever amazed like I am at how short people's memories are? Particularly if you did something nice for them. And it's amazing. Uh, Israel just had this incredible miracle, and at the first sign of trouble, they're already doubting, they're already ready to give up. Their motto, when in doubt, grumble against Moses. I mean, that's what they did, right? Uh, is that still true of human nature? In the workplace. You, you ever had a boss that, don't look at him, but I mean, you ever had a boss who had the attitude, uh, what have you done for me lately? It doesn't matter that you had top sales last quarter or that you saved the company last year. It's just what have you done for me lately is kind of the attitude that comes uh, in. Or parents, do your kids ever forget what you do for them? Hello, are you out there? We never go anywhere. We spent the whole day at the beach yesterday. Oh, I'm bored. That's what kids do, right? You expect it from kids. The problem is that one of the marks of maturity is to see and remember what people have done for you, not forget about it when it's convenient. It doesn't come naturally to do that. Bosses can forget employee effort and children can forget what their parents do for them and, and spouses take each other for granted sometimes, husbands for wives and wives for husbands. It's, it's what we do, whatever relationship. Please, I beg you, guard your heart. Make sure you don't forget uh, past services uh, too quickly. In fact, I'll just ask and we'll move on. Um, who are you taking for granted right now? Maybe this is your moment in today's message to just stop and say, who have I been taking for granted? A boss, an employee, a a, a, a a mate, a friend, a, a bridge group leader, a pastor. I mean, who have you been taking for granted? I saw a bumper sticker just the other day that I really, really, really loved. It said, if you can read this sign, you're in debt to a teacher. Can I get an amen in the room? Amen. Thank you, teachers. Maybe you get a little bit of a break as we get into summertime, but what an amazing school year it has been. Thank you for sticking it out. We will remember you. Amen. Maybe someone disappointed you recently, but remember, the greatest successes are often followed by failure, and the greatest service is often followed by forgetfulness. Now, let's pause for just a minute and, and address that before we get to the third truth, okay? Um, here's the question. What do we do 
when disappointment comes? I mean, that really is the bottom line question of this whole conversation, is it? What do we do when we find ourselves disappointed? I think there's three things that you have to be careful not to do, and there's one thing that you really need to do, okay? So we'll call it three don't do's and one do-do. I, I just wanted to say do-do in church. I just, it's just kind of the way my head works. So, so one, three don't do's and one do-do. Let's get into it, okay? Uh, I want to see if you're awake, Okay. Three don't do's. First of all, don't focus on the one who disappointed you. Don't focus on the one who disappointed you. It's so hard not to, but that's what the scriptures say. Romans chapter 12, verse 14, wish good for those who harm you. Wish them well and do not curse them. In other words, don't retaliate. Don't strike back. Don't try to get even. It's amazing how creative we can get when we're disappointed by somebody. Boy, it's quiet in here today. Oh, man, I'll do this, and then I'll do that, and I'll do the other thing. Man, it's amazing what we can do. But hear me, guys. The moment you decide to pick up your own defense, God stops defending you. The moment you decide to to protect yourself, God says, okay, he's a gentleman. I'm not going to force my shepherding on you. You get to do this on your own. What's the job of the shepherd is to guide, provide, correct, and protect so let him the second don't is don't focus on the pain don't focus on the pain this is huge i see this so often far too often that i even care to 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 talk about or illustrate but but when we're hurt our tendency is to rehearse the hurt don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. We tend to process it in our head and we think about it over and over and over again. But Paul said in Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger along with every form of malice. There's lots of reasons that he wrote that. But one of the reasons is that every time you rehearse it, it gets bigger. Have you noticed that? The psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me, right? What does the word magnify mean? It's not to pick up a magnifying glass and you look at something through a magnifying glass. What happens? It gets bigger in your view. In fact, if you set that magnifying glass, it fills your entire, that's all you can see. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it fills your entire view. And so the psalmist said, magnify the shepherd with me. Remind yourself that no matter what's going on in your life right now, he's here to guide you, provide for you, correct you, protect you. Because if you don't and you start focusing on the pain, you start magnifying the pain, guess what's going to happen? It's going to fill your view. And it starts bleeding over into every other relationship and every other interaction that you've ever had. I've seen it so often. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger than life. Even, I can't tell you the number of times I've had, just as an example, a a lady say to me, this is how all men are. And I find myself going, well, I don't don't think that's how I am. I'm a a guy. I mean, I don't, a couple guys I know, they're, they're not like that. But you know what happened is the one guy hurt her and she focused on the pain until it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, this is how all men are. Let's bring it home. This is how all churches are. They got hurt by a church member or by a pastor or by a leader or by a group of people in a church that they felt isolated or uh, from, and, and, and they focused on that hurt. They focused on that disappointment. And before you know it, it's filled their view, and all churches are that way. Magnify 
the Lord with me, not the pain with me, because it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and Satan loves it when you magnify the pain, when you magnify the hurt, because he knows that as long as you magnify the hurt, you will stay stuck right there. Why? Because you're no longer listening to and following the shepherd. You're listening to and following your pain. The third don't is don't focus on yourself. And again, it's challenging. It's easier to say than do, but don't focus on yourself. Don't sit around having a pity party and saying, woe is me, or, or I'll show them, or whatever response you typically have. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 7, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. You understand what that says? It doesn't say it's a sin to get angry. This is... Anger is an emotion that God gave us. doesn't say it's a sin to get angry. What does he say the problem is? When you hold on to your anger, when, when, you, when you allow it to fester, when you magnify your anger, when you magnify your hurt, when you magnify the, the whole world is about me and everything centers in me, and it's really, again, hard not to do that, but when you do, you need to understand What's going to happen? You're giving Satan a foothold. You're giving him a, a, a grab hold in your life to begin pulling you his way. And now you're not following the shepherd who's leading you to the things we sung about a little few minutes ago to, out of our comfort zone to fulfill purpose and meaning in life. He's leading you to, what did he come for? To steal, kill, and destroy. So don't give him that foothold. Challenge yourself. Take those thoughts captive. Understand that, that, that anger is energy. Anger, you know, what do you do when you get angry? What, what do you do? Some people drive real fast. Some people clean furiously. Some people get loud. I and mean, what? what? Something happens that we exist, uh, we express our anger. Anger is energy, and God gave us Anger so that we would be energetic enough to get up and do something about what we're dealing with. The problem is when you focus on who hurt you or the hurt or on yourself, after a while, anger turns into resentment. Anger unresolved becomes resentment, and resentment turns you bitter over time. And before you know it, you are Mara bitter waters that can't be drunk. I love the word picture in Job chapter 18 that one of his so-called friends gave him. I still love it. Job 18, 4, just because you tear your clothes in anger, is this going to start an earthquake? Shall we all go and hide? You can almost see him going, ooh, you understand what they're saying? Saying the only thing you're doing is hurting yourself. That's the Pastor Jim paraphrase. You know, the only person you're hurting with your anger unresolved is, is yourself. Everybody else is kind of going having a party. Say, hey, look at them. Isn't that funny? Ha, ha, ha. Look what we did to them. Is it true? Yeah. Um, we all have a natural kind of tendency to draw into a protective shell and... Uh, not let anybody get close. Anger at first and then shut down for a while and start to lick our wounds and protect ourselves and build up walls. But hear me, guys, when you start building up walls, you're not just protecting yourself from the people that hurt you. You're isolating yourself from the people who love you. You have to remember and, and, and focus and challenge yourself not 
to focus on yourself, but to focus on the shepherd. Can you imagine, those of you that know a little bit about the New Testament, can you imagine the Apostle Paul doing that? I mean, he had lots of reasons to be disappointed. I mean, at one point he said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this world better than the ministry that, he called, that God called him to. John Mark copped out. He was young and immature and flighty. And Barnabas split and said, forget it. I'm going to go with John over here. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was put in prison just for preaching the gospel. I mean, can you imagine Paul saying, forget about it. This is too hard. It ain't worth it. I don't need this. I'm out of here. Can you imagine that? Worse, bear with me a minute, worse, can you imagine Jesus doing that? Can you see the headline in heaven, in the heavenly news gazette, the headline goes, Jesus back from earth early before the cross. And in the article it says, uh, sources near the Father heard Jesus say, Earth just isn't what I expected at all. No one even spoke to me. I don't think they appreciated what I was there for. In fact, if I had stayed, I think they would have killed me. Obviously, those are absurd examples, but I hope you're getting the point. They didn't because they had a calling and a purpose by God to fulfill and they never allowed disappointment to stop them from fulfilling that purpose. They didn't let hurts or disappointments cause them to stop doing and being what God called them to do and who he called them to be. Folks, if we're, if we're focusing on people, you're going to be disappointed. Have you noticed that people are imperfect? Have you noticed that? I mean, you can look at me. You don't have to look at them. I mean, just say, if I haven't disappointed you yet, be patient. I will eventually. It's just going to happen. Human beings do that kind of stuff. Whether they mean to or not, people are going to disappoint us. The question is, what am I going to do when it happens? Am I, am I going to, uh, to, to, to get mad? Am I going to focus on the hurt? Am I going to focus on you? Am I going to focus on myself? Am I going to get even? What, what am I going to do? Hear me. The question is not whether you're going to be disappointed. The question is what are you going to do when the disappointment comes? My point simply is that your problem is not your problem. Your problem is how you deal with your problem. Bible says don't focus on the people that hurt you. Don't focus on your pain. Don't focus on yourself. Instead, let the Lord be your shepherd. What's the job of a shepherd? You want to say it? You want me to? It's guide, provide, correct, protect. But understand, the Lord can't be your shepherd unless the shepherd is your Lord. He won't play co-pilot. You crash the plane and he gets the blame for it. That's not how it works. If you want to overcome disappointment, if you want to have your soul restored, like Psalm 23 promises, you got to trust the shepherd. You got to let him guide you, provide for you, correct you, and protect you. In other words, when you're hurt and disappointed, you don't go find some friends to justify your feelings. You don't just go talking to people, trying to find somebody to agree with you and say, you know, you deserve better than that. Instead, you go to the Lord and say, Lord, what, how are you going to use this to guide me? What are you going to do to provide for me in this situation? 
How are you, how you going to use this to correct me? What do I need to learn about me in this whole scenario? And how are you going to protect me from the ones who keep coming after me? Nobody's suggesting you keep putting yourself back in harm's way. You watch him when you do turn that around for good. When you let him be your shepherd, watch him turn it around for good. Of course, the most famous illustration of that, and one of my favorites, is Joseph, the coat of many colors. Genesis 37, he gets a dream and uh, that he's going to have authority, even over his own family, his own brothers. And he's, he's the kid, you know, and, and he goes to his older brothers and says, hey, and I tell you this, guys, but one day you're going to bow to me. It's just the way it is. It's just what's, it's what God said. And uh, they didn't exactly respond well to that information. They kind of didn't like it at all. And, and so next thing you know, Joseph is being uh, hurt by his own family. And his brother sold him as a slave. And, and that became 40 years of misery. Uh, but, but all the way through, you read Joseph's story, all the way through, uh, you, you see God had a plan to use it for good. And because Joseph followed his shepherd all the way through, kept his integrity all the way through, he ultimately became the second in command of the most powerful nation on earth at a time of of international famine, and the result is he was able to save his family and the nation of Israel from starvation. Look what he finally said when he met his brothers again many years later. Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. i got to move on. I'm going to bring this to a close, but hear me. People are going to disappoint you. Thank you, Jim. That's a wonderful encouragement you've given us this morning. I'm so glad I came to church. It's just, it's real. I mean, sometimes because they're imperfect people and sometimes because you put expectations on them that they couldn't have stood a chance to live up to if they tried. But whatever the reason, intentional or unintentional, hurt is a reality. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. The only question is, what are we going to do when it comes? comes are we going to magnify the pain or are we going to magnify the shepherd and his purpose for our lives that's that's what Moses did go back to Exodus 15 we'll bring this ship home Exodus 15 25 Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree when Moses threw the tree into the water the tree became good to drink the shepherd provided now, I don't know if the leaves of that tree were a natural medicine that cured the stagnation in the water. I, that's fine. I don't care if it was symbolic or re, it doesn't matter to me. Bottom line is that, that God provided a tree that cured the problem because they focused on him. And it reminds me of another tree that turned bitterness into sweetness. We sometimes refer to it as the old rugged tree, the old rugged tree cross something I want you to see from that verse it doesn't say God created a tree when Moses looked to him it said God do you see what it said God showed him a tree in other words it was already there but the children of Israel couldn't see it because they weren't listening to and following the shepherd the solution was there all along. 
If Moses had joined in being wrapped up in self-pity and anger unresolved that becomes resentment and bitterness, if Moses allowed himself to get pulled into the way even the children of Israel were responding to their disappointment, they never would have seen the solution that was right in front of them. As long as I'm focusing on the enemies or the pain or the or myself, I can't see the, the guidance, the provision, the correction, the protection that the Lord wants to give to me. When people let you down, breaks your heart, remember, the greatest successes are often followed by failure. It's reality. And the greatest services are often followed by forgetfulness. But when you let the shepherd be your guide, your protector, your provider, your corrector, you get to discover a third truth about discouragement, disappointment, and that is fullness often follows shortage. When you follow the shepherd, fullness often follows shortage. Go to verse 27 of Exodus 15. When the people traveled to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, so the people camped there near the water. Now, you got that picture? Now they've gotten some water to drink at Mara because he turned it into sweet, and then now they're moving on in their journey. And then they get to Elam, where there are 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and that's where they stood and camped out for a while. I mean, I don't know if you see that or not, but because Moses trusted the shepherd, God gave them a Palm Springs vacation. I don't know if that registered for you or not, but that's what I saw when I read that, that verse. I mean, and they camped out there for a while. They hung out there, scholars tell me, for about a month or so, and they ate dates and, and quail and manna that was provided every day. I mean, why? Because greatest shortages are often followed by fullness if you trust the shepherd. One more question and I'll hush. Anybody know how far Elam is from Mara? Anybody know your Bible geography? It's five miles. Elam is only five miles from Mara. In fact, I'm convinced that the primary reason that this story is in the Bible at all is to show us that no matter what's going on in your life right now, Elam is just around the corner. But we can't see Elam as long as we're focused on Mara. We've got to get past it and start focusing on the shepherd. Listen for the shepherd's voice and follow him. And Elam will begin to fill our view. So, so what are you disappointed about today? What, what, what's hurting you today? What, where does your soul need to be restored today? Let's make this really practical. A job that's not working out frustrating work situation, maybe, maybe a relationship that's not what you thought it was going to be, maybe, maybe it's the way things are just going in your life generally right now, maybe, I don't know, what, could, could it be, just ponder for a minute, could it be that no matter what it is, God brought you to that point to show you that you can trust Him? And that he's at work right now. That Elam is right around the corner. But it's on the other side of trust. The shepherd's heart. What's the solution tomorrow? It's a tree. 
we call a cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night. Come on. But joy comes in the morning. Let's pray. Lord, across this room and frankly across this planet online, we thank you for the reminder that no matter what we're facing right now, you have this amazing plan to give us life and that life in all its fullness. That when we find ourselves struggling, disappointed by things, events, people, it's really hard to break out of the human tendency to focus on the hurt, focus on the cause, focus on ourselves, to turn inward. Thank you for the reminder today that if we'll just turn outward to you, if we'll keep our eyes on you, if we'll listen to the voice of the shepherd, that you will guide us through it. You will provide for us in it. You'll correct us along the way, those things that we need to learn about ourselves. At the end of the day, you'll protect us from the enemy of our souls. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Keep your heads bowed for just a second. I want to give you a chance to pray with me this morning. Maybe, maybe you're listening right now and, uh, and you've never really made a decision like this. You've never really come to a place where you've, in a real practical sense, said, I, I don't want to live in this disappointment. I don't want to live in this hurt. I'm, I'm choosing to put my trust in Jesus Christ. And if that's who you are, man, you have come to the right place. We are so thrilled that you are here, that you're online, that you're listening right now, because I believe with everything in me, God sent me here to say, the shepherd will guide you. He will provide for you. He will correct you. He will protect you if you'll just trust him. So just in the quietness of this moment, would you pray that prayer of trust? Say it in your own words. Let's go something like this, Jesus. I want to trust you. I want to shift my focus to you instead of the hurt. It's hard. Would you help me to overcome my doubts, overcome my fears? Help me to put my trust in you. Show me the way. Forgive me for not doing it before this moment. Give me a fresh start now. In Jesus' name. Others of you have been at this place many times, perhaps, and you've trusted the Lord many times, but you've got a reminder today that in your current circumstance, nothing's really changed. Romans 8:28 is still true. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, called according to his purpose. To be conformed to the likeness of his son, it's still true, no matter what you're facing. So in your prayer, it's just thank you, Jesus, for reminding me that I can trust the shepherd's heart. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen.